0: Morning, Manuel. If you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. Matthew chapter 3 verse 11. My intention today is to preach on Mother's Day and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew chapter 3 verse 11 and 12. Matthew chapter 3 Verse 11 and 12, John the Baptist, who we saw last week has been exercising this tremendous revival ministry that's literally clearing out the city of Jerusalem and bringing people to repentance, is here in verse 11 going to remind us what his baptism is for, and then a dynamic shift happens in that every single thing out of John the Baptist's mouth becomes about Jesus and not about himself. It's a mark of a true and faithful ministry. It's a mark of a true and faithful life. It's the right tone for motherhood. Everything's all about Jesus. John the Baptist says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance. But He who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Let's pray. Father, we pray that the Spirit of God that has baptized every true believer would fill us afresh this morning and put all of our attention on Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Today is Mother's Day. A day when our culture celebrates a precious gift that Jesus has given to every single person who has ever lived. Or as one theologian put it, there is no man or woman or child whose first home was not their mother. It's the first relationship every single being, human being, has. You may not have been made a mother you're a woman, but you've had one. Sometimes through tragedy, we are separated from our mothers, but most of humanity, our mothers are our first embrace. Our mothers provide the nourishment of life. Our mothers provide the warm comfort of their embrace. Our mothers provide a picture of the church of Christ, a submissive, soft, warm, wise, strong and life-giving woman. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers of Emmanuel. It's because the gift of motherhood is so precious that today is a day of grief for so many. If motherhood wasn't so good, the loss of it wouldn't be so hard. Those who have lost their beloved mothers grieve. Those who long to be mothers grieve those mothers whose children have died or whose children do not return their embrace or do not share their faith grieve as well. May the Holy Spirit comfort all those who grieve this morning. But the fact that motherhood is so precious is, is why it's so good to celebrate motherhood. Motherhood is a precious and a Christ-like reality. It's also the sweetest joy to a mother's heart when her children honor the Lord and the saddest grief, says the Proverbs, when their children do not walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ as He's described in the Bible. Children should celebrate their mothers. There was very good coffee at my house this morning. Because the children were celebrating their mother. The Bible says it's a blessed thing when children rise up and call their mothers blessed. Proverbs 31. Fathers were told, well, in Proverbs 31, it says, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Fathers, teach your children not just to respect their mothers, but to praise them. It's one of the greatest joys of my life to pastor a church with so many sisters who embrace and pursue the high calling of wife and mother. I do not take that for granted that there's an army of you ladies who embrace this calling as God's calling on your life. We have here at Emmanuel mothers who memorize Scripture with their kids while they drive them to school and themselves to work. Mothers who think through what food will keep little bodies healthy in spite of those little bodies always grabbing the wrong food. Mothers who think what will keep minds sharp. Mothers who bind wombs, wounds and wipe away tears and speak truth and drive taxi and spank bottoms and teach the Scriptures like Eunice and Lois used to do with Timothy. We have been given a blessed army of motherhood at Emmanuel, and I get the privilege of living with one of the finest. To live with Christy Fullerton is to like living with a passion for God right beside you all the time. The men of Emmanuel should stand up and give the women of Emmanuel, and especially the mothers, a standing ovation on a regular basis. The Church of Jesus Christ should be a place where motherhood is pursued, celebrated, honored and cultivated. The ways things are going in our culture, the church of Jesus Christ may in fact be the last place where motherhood is highly exalted, cultivated, and celebrated. In a culture where women kill their children to avoid motherhood, where women pursue every calling except motherhood, where fathers leave their wives to chase a trophy wife and handicap motherhood, we must be a people who extol motherhood. In a culture where gay men pay women to rent their wombs, and then those men raise those children without the mother they need, we must be a people who tie pregnancy to motherhood. In a culture where all it takes to be a woman is wearing a woman's clothes or having a surgeon sew silicone under your skin, we must be a people who say that a woman is one who is created biologically to nurture life. Her body. Her mind, her emotions, her will are all created to excel at that kind of nurturing. Some get to express that nurturing through biological children. Some through adoptive children. Some through spiritual children. Some through all of the above. But this nurturing is the distinct excellence God has given to women. Not the only excellence, but the distinct excellence that God has given to women. Of course, men are called the nurture too. But when a man nurtures well, he does what a woman does best. God has created women so that when they nurture in wisdom, in strength, in love, and in care, they do it with such excellence that a man at his best is a mere reflection of the brilliance that God has given distinctly to our sisters. Praise God for women, for wives, for sisters, and for mothers. Happy Mother's Day to all... I don't usually preach Mother's Day sermons, but when I do, there's a standing ovation. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But today, from this unlikely text, I want to preach a Mother's Day sermon. The text we're looking at this morning contains two of the greatest things a mother needs, humility and the Holy Spirit of God. And the text we're looking at this morning contains two of the greatest truths a mother can ever impart to her children. The truth of final judgment. And once again, the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. Of course, these truths are applicable and vital and necessary for all people. And I'm sure God will distribute enough food this morning to feed every hungry soul. But I plan to lay the food out specifically for our mothers this morning to say Happy Mother's Day. Now the first thing I want to show you in this text is a model of humility. A model of humility. John the Baptist is called some pretty exalted things in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus Himself says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Now when Jesus says you're the greatest man who's ever lived, you're the greatest man who's ever lived. And of course John was particularly holy, particularly faithful, particularly bold. But the essence of his greatness was in the role he played in introducing Jesus to the world. When I do weddings, I often get the privilege of saying, it's my pleasure to introduce to you for the last time. Well, the last time I did that was Mr. and Mrs. Sam and Emily Duplessy. Amen. Oh, and with that uh, standing ovation, Wanda, welcome to Pastor's Wife Life. So... Uh, It was John who got to say in the Gospel of John, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He got to introduce Jesus. It was John the Baptist who got to prepare the way of the Lord. It was John who got to announce that in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven, was at hand. John was a major league player. He was the goat of the prophets. He was the greatest in the kingdom of God up until that point. But you listen to what John says about himself. And it doesn't sound anything like what Jesus says about John. John says, and I'll just read our text again. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one more powerful than I. The book of Acts makes it clear that one more powerful than Him is Jesus. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in His hand to clear His threshing floor and gather His wheat into the barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Notice John's estimation of himself. It drips with humility. Now, before I can actually show you how John the Baptist's example drips with humility, we actually need to recognize how little we understand humility. You see, we're prone to think that humility is self-deprecation. Sometimes we even think that humility is self-loathing. That humility is when we think very little of ourselves. But there are many people who think very little of themselves who are insanely proud because their humility is marked primarily by thinking about themselves. If you're always thinking about you, even if you're thinking little thoughts of yourself, the root of pride hasn't been snipped much at all. Humility, we can, make, we can think we're more humble than we are because we think such little thoughts of ourselves. But true humility is not when you come to see yourself as nothing, but when you come to see Christ as everything. Humility that's actually worthy of the name says like John the Baptist, He must increase but I must decrease. Real humility isn't infatuated with how lame you are compared to others. That's actually called envy. Masquerading as humility. What really marks out humility is, He's awesome! And if I could just get out of the way, or if I could just be a pointer, or if I could just be a reflection of Him, that would satisfy my every desire. That's humility. John the Baptist had that kind of humility. John the Baptist says, I got water baptism, and it's honestly, it's more effective than anything else that's happened in Israel in the last 400 years. But he's going to baptize with the Spirit. John says, I'm announcing judgment. The axe was laid at the root of the tree. But then did you notice that the judgment that Jesus brings is Jesus' own judgment, He will clear the threshing fold. He will gather the wheat into the barn. He will burn the chaff. In other words, I'm pointing to judgment, says John. Jesus is going to do judgment. I don't know if you've ever been in court, but there is a world of difference between the bailiff who says, all rise because honorable so-and-so is presiding, and the honorable so-and-so Who's presiding? There is an infinite difference between John and the judge of all the earth. And John knows it, and he's not trying to like hope no one notices the difference between him and Jesus. He'd be the first to tell you, we are not the same. And then he goes on to encapsulate it in one of the most vivid illustrations the New Testament ever heard. This illustration is actually repeated five times. It must have stuck in people's minds. No Gospel writer doesn't repeat this illustration. The book of Acts repeats this illustration. And the illustration is simply this. I'm not worthy to untie His sandals. Now, you need to understand... And New Testament scholar N.T. France brings this out that in that day, slaves didn't untie people's sandals. It was beneath a slave to untie someone else's sandals. But John says, I wouldn't be up to the task that's below a slave. It's like if you've ever worked fast food, I used to work fast food. And you know, one of the great tasks of working fast food is you. Sometimes, if you work in the back, you get to clean the grease trap. Now, there's a great, and dignified task to do. And it's like if your boss said, "You know what? When you're done cleaning the grease trap in the restaurant, why don't you head over to my house and clean the grease trap there too?" And you're like, "And that's where I sign off." But instead, you responded, "I wouldn't even be worthy, boss." That would be above my pay grade. That would be too great a task for me to go to your house and clean out the greasy junk below your sink. And so you see, John is marked by a peculiar humility. Let me ask you this. Is that your attitude towards serving the Lord? I'm not worthy. It's a miracle I get to do anything for Him. Mothers, one of your primary callings is to care for the children that God has given to you. You serve Christ when you serve your children. It's not the only place you serve Christ, but it is a distinct place you serve Christ, and he's the one who told us that that was to be the case. Older women are to, in the church are to teach younger women to love their children, Titus 2:4. It's your God who says in First Timothy 2:15 that you will be saved through childbearing. Now that doesn't mean if you have a baby, you'll get saved. The command goes like this she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Which doesn't mean if you have a baby, you'll be saved. But it does mean that the normal place in which a woman who's been given children works out her salvation with fear and trembling is in the tasks and the vocation and the responsibility of raising those children. Unloving unholy, unfaithful mothers without self-control will not be saved on the last day. How will you cultivate that kind of love and humility and faithfulness and holiness and self-control? Well, the first step is humility like John's. The greatest step of humility is living under the bright shadow of the glory of Jesus. He's the one who does deep heartworks in children. He's the one who brings them the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who will judge you and your child. So I don't need to proudly rush around trying to impress the other moms or my kids' every expectation, but only Him. He alone is my final judge. Let humility shape your soul and you will be the best kind of mother. A mother who lifts up Jesus every chance she gets. Motherhood can be a tremendous place for pride. My kid as an honor student is not just a bumper sticker, it's a hard attitude. We can take undue pride in the accomplishments of our children. Or we can have undue shame for the averageness of our children. Now I need to be careful because there is a right kind of pride that says thank you God that my kid can kick a ball or love a neighbor or understand calculus. And there's a right kind of shame and grief that comes from a disobedient child. The Proverbs talks about it. But there's also a lot of carnal pride from what my kid can do or cannot do about the opportunities my kids get or doesn't get. There's a lot of pride that comes in when we teach our kids to honor us. We should teach our kids to honor us. In this culture, yes sir and yes ma'am are very appropriate and can be good things. But as we teach our kids to honor us, it can be quickly be a pursuit of how worthy I am of their honor. You will honor me. And there's very little sense that I am not worthy of the honor Christ has commanded you to give me. We can see pride when we think we deserve to have kids that obey us more, learn quicker, treasure us more. All the billboards about children, they're always this, is your kid a leader? And then everyone's like, no. (laughs) Is your kid exceptional? Not not really. (laughs) Doing doing an awesome C-plus job here to the glory of God. And tremendous bitterness, resentment, anxiety, frustration, pressure on those kids they weren't meant to bear, all comes because mothers are not dominated by it's just the grace of God that I'm here. I'm not even worthy to untie these little kids' Velcro shoes. I've just been placed here by a sovereign Savior who loved me and gave Himself for my sins. That kind of humility creates free and liberated families with happy moms. Second, not just the example of John's humility. Notice the baptism of the Holy Spirit and of fire. Notice the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. One of the ways that Jesus is mightier than John is that He brings a more powerful baptism. John baptized in water for repentance. And that's when men and women turned from their sin, John administered the sign of baptism. The word baptism literally means this isn't just from a Baptist. This is dictionary definition. The word baptism literally means to wash. To dip. To Plunge. So John had a, a dipping, a submersion for repentance. It was a, a water symbol that symbolized a new start with God. But then John looks at what Jesus is going to do and he goes, This is not even in my league. This one will immerse in the third person of the Trinity, this one will immerse in the Holy Spirit. This one will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I'm, I'm getting people wet. And it's significant because God ordained it. But He's going to immerse them in God so that they become drunk, if you will. And that's not in an appropriate illustration because three times in the New Testament we're, we're, we're told that the Holy Spirit is viewed as one we, we drink and are intoxicated with. So this one's coming. And he will immerse in the Holy Spirit. Now we know water. We know water. Water is wet. Water is H2O. Water is formerly a vapor and maybe ice in the future. We know water. We know from seeing baptisms here regularly what water baptism is. But do we know the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, according to the Scriptures, is God. In Genesis chapter 1, when the world was without form and void, it was the Holy Spirit hovering over creation. The Holy Spirit is an instrument. He's an agent there at the time of creation. He's active, we'll say. In the time of creation. On top of the Holy Spirit, the on top of that, the Holy Spirit is a person. In Acts chapter 6, when Ananias and Sapphira are lying to the church about how much they gave, Peter says you lied to the Holy Spirit. That is, it was a person you lied to. It wasn't a force. This isn't Star Wars. This is the person of the Holy Spirit. And on top of the person of the Holy Spirit being a person, He is the great New Testament gift to the church. you think that when God came for the church, He gave His Son. Yes, He did. But He also gave His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given in such a way as to become an immersive reality for the church. Jesus said in John's Gospel, Whoever believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within Him. The Holy Spirit, we're told, illuminates us so that the Scriptures stop being a dead book and become a living book, and the hope they talk about begins to grip our souls as we are filled with, Ephesians 1.15, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. The Spirit of God is one who creates spiritual fruit in us love, joy, peace, patience. These are all created in the Christian by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God gives gifts. To men, so he gives apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and miracles and healings and exorcisms, and he gives prophecies and tongues, and he gives administration, and he gives leadership. He just superabounds his body with gifts. And John says, there's one coming who will immerse you in this spirit, who will immerse you in the ocean of the unfathomable God. This is what's happening when a Christian becomes a Christian. They are immersed in the very Holy Spirit of God. And we're told that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is like a fire. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now it's not that the Holy Spirit comes and fire comes, but rather one of the ways in which the work of the Holy Spirit is described is as a burning fire. If you'll look down in verse 12, you'll notice that fire is an image of destruction. He will clear His threshing floor and gather His wheat into the barn. But the chaff, that is the the cheap and featherweight peel that's on the grain of wheat will be burned with unquenchable fire. But here in verse 11, The Holy Spirit's ministry of baptism of the Spirit with fire is not a destructive work. Well, at least it doesn't destroy us. It's only a destructive work in that it destroys sin. The Holy Spirit, we're immersed in the Holy Spirit, and what would take us under the wrath of God is destroyed in us before the wrath of God comes. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And how does He do it? Well, what happens? The Holy Spirit, you are immersed in Him. and What becomes the reality of your life? Well, when He comes, He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. When the Holy Spirit comes, you don't think little thoughts of sin anymore. Now you think great thoughts of sin. You don't think passing thoughts of judgment. Now you think terrible thoughts of judgment. And you don't think, think of these things lightly. The Holy Spirit makes them grip your soul and, and, and they, they become weighty to your soul. And what happens? It becomes like a fire in your soul. I've got to get rid of this sin. I've got to run away from this sin. I hear people all the time say things like, I have an overly sensitive conscience. It must be the devil. Maybe. Or maybe it's the Holy Spirit of God making someone in this culture sensitive to sin at all so that you actually care about sin and you actually want to run away from it. The Holy Spirit, we are immersed in Him. And once immersed in Him, He brings spiritual realities before the eyes of faith over and over and over again. He will testify to the truth of me, says Jesus. And the Holy Spirit just keeps reminding us of Jesus over and over and over again. And if your soul is seeing Jesus over and over and over again, it cannot go to the buffet of sin over and over and over again at the same time. And we have been, past tense, immersed in Him. Now, this is a historical reality. It's a historical reality. If you were to turn to Acts chapter 1, that's right before the birth of the church. Acts gives us the birth of the church, this institution called the church. If you were to go to Acts chapter 1, you would find Jesus saying, quoting John the Baptist, John baptized with water, but not many days from now you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? I guess you don't see it because I'm just saying it. Do you hear that? You can go look at Acts chapter 1 yourself this afternoon. The idea is this promise. John says, I baptize with water. The one who is coming, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Jesus comes along in Chap- Ch- Acts chapter 1 and says, John baptized with water. Not many days from now, what, what he was pointing to is coming. And of course, if you know your Bibles at all, you know that not many days after that, tongues of fire, no accident, fell on the church. And they began, they, they were, baptized in the Holy Spirit, immersed in the reality of the third person of the Godhead the same way a person is immersed in water, in baptism. But not only is this a historical reality, in time, on the day of Pentecost, at the birth of the church, it's also a historical reality in every individual Christian's life. Every individual Christian, when they believe in Christ, is immersed and baptized in the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we read this truth. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Paul says this, for just as the body, that's one of his favorite images for the church, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, So it is with Christ, for in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. Now there's something there that can be really encouraging to you. Because some of you, and some of you moms in particular, are going, man, if I was parenting as a baptized in the Spirit person, it would be pretty awesome at my house. But I haven't seen that lately. haven't seen the Holy Spirit dominating what's going on at you insert your address here. And here's something you need to know. The Holy Spirit's baptism, the baptism in the Holy Spirit by Christ is a definitive reality that never goes away and you can fail to cultivate. You can fail to cultivate. Did you notice where I just read this verse from? About how you're all been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Did you notice who who had all been baptized in the Holy Spirit? The Corinthians. They're like the Peter of the New Testament letter. They always fail us for our good right peter's always fallen on our face to encourage us richard sibbs says we get far more encouragement from the saints failures than from their successes and the corinthians who have been baptized are fighting about who their favorite preacher is i like apollos i like peter enough of me with that guy the corinthians are not at all sure what to do with sex 1 corinthians 7 they're using their spiritual gifts to puff each other up. I got tongues. All you got was chair moving. The Corinthians are low in love. The Corinthians are doubting the resurrection. And Paul is 100% sure they have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. All of them. Every one of them. Which means what? well, we should just be really comfortable with disobedience and go on from here. By no means. No, it means that even if you're at a low place, you're in the right ocean. Even if you're at a bad place, you've been immersed in a powerful reality. One of the great gifts in the Fullerton home is Grant Teal. Grant Teal is my wife's dad. He is a man of God like few I have ever known. And last night I called my dear Methodist grandfather-in-law and I said, Grandpa Teal, I'm preaching on baptism of the Spirit and fire. What do you want to tell me? I got 45 minutes of Grandpa Teal. But one of the best portions was we were eating dinner. We just set the phone down in the middle of the dining room table. And Grandpa Teal set his eyes on one of my sons for the second time in just a few months. And he said, are you cultivating a relationship with your heavenly friend? Are you aware that the third person of the Trinity dwells in you? Are you leaning into the reality that he prompts and moves you, that he is in you, that you are connected to him? Are you aware of his presence daily? And once we get off the phone, I say to the kids, do you know that when he dies, you may never hear anything like that again? That's a gift. A gift only replaced if I can maybe succeed in cultivating 600 or 700 more of you who speak to each other like that? Or to use the most explicit language, do you walk by the Spirit? Do you lean into Him as the power and guidance? The Christian life is not just an intellectual relationship between you and your Bible. You are indwelt with the third person of the Trinity. The one who wrote the Bible is in you. He was in the authors writing it and now He resonates with those words in the Scriptures and we were meant to cultivate a life walking in Him. Aware of how He prompts us consistent with His Word. Aware of how He prompts us from His Word. We are to walk in Him and we are to be drunk with Him. Do not be drunk with wine but be filled with another intoxicant, the Holy Spirit. Why so few Christians walking around through life going, I am inebriated in a sober-minded way. Because that's what he does. It's the most sobering of drunkenness as there is. Because the Holy Spirit's a God of order. Where are the Christians when they know I have been baptized, but like the New Testament church, I need to be filled again what they did in Acts chapter 4. They prayed that they'd be filled again. They didn't say, oh, we already got that baptism. That's already in the past. We wouldn't want to get charismatic here. We wouldn't, we wouldn't want to get Keswick here. We wouldn't want to get focused on some second or third blessing here. No, those who have been baptized can be filled again and again. They walk by the Spirit. They drink the Spirit. They let the Word of Christ dwell in them richly. They cultivate spiritual gifts. They are immersed in In the reality of the Spirit of God. And all the Baptists said, I wonder what he's talking about. You want your kids to be able to walk faithfully? In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation? The ultimate answer is not homeschooling. The, other, the ultimate answer is not private Christian schooling. The ultimate answer is not finding the best possible public schooling. In every one of those places, kids can just, they can hook themselves up like a vacuum cleaner to worldliness. There's only one thing That can keep a child ultimately from the allurements of the world if the one in them is greater than the one in the world. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you recognize that when you believed you were baptized with the Holy Spirit, you were immersed in the reality of His power, of His illumination, of His sin-burning fire? And because you were baptized, you should cultivate that relationship above all others. I want to be be Christ-centered, not Spirit-centered. Okay, good deal. Because the Spirit wants you to be Christ-centered too. The more you find yourself focused on Christ, worshiping Christ, loving Christ, the more it's just evidence that the Spirit is mightily at work, filling you. Our passage ends with a promise of judgment. It it, it describes uh, Jesus in ways that city kids may not understand, but maybe some of you grew up on the farm and you can... Figure this one out, it, it pictures Jesus with a winnowing fork, really a shovel, scooping up grain and throwing it into the air. And the strategy in this process was that as the grain was thrown up into the air, the chaff, the worthless husk that was around the grain, like, like a peel of an onion, if you will, was light enough and weightless enough, the wind just blew it away. And the grain fell back down to the ground. And because it was worthy of something, worth keeping, it's put away in the barn. The chaff blows away and is burned. And we're being told here that Jesus will do this at the end of the age, but not with husks of grain. With people. With people. Jesus will scoop a shovel one day and you will be in it. And He will throw it up into the air. And if your life is a husk full of nutrients and life, it will be weighty. It will drop down and Jesus will store you for heaven forever. And if your white life is worthless and weightless, you'll blow away. And not to ride the wind but to be eternally destroyed by the fire you resisted if you rejected His Holy Spirit. Moms, helping your kids get good grades is important and don't let any preacher ever contrast godliness with good grades. The most effective men in the Bible were educated men. Moses and Paul. Education is a tremendous link to usefulness. But you don't want to pursue straight A's at the cost of godliness. Moms, watching your kid hit a home run, do a triple flip, insert the sport of your choice, it's it's awesome. Physical fitness is of some value. Paul used sports to illustrate spiritual points. I love watching my kids in a theater production, or on a sport, or get a little award at work for excellent, excellent work. Love it, love it all. Bring it home. I want to hear about it. But it's nothing, absolutely nothing, if they're not saved. And all of the saved are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Are your children baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do they bear the marks of those who were immersed in spiritual realities? They, they have a longing and a hunger for Christ. They have experienced the conviction of their sins. They, they delight in Him. If they are not. This is your number one prayer priority. This is your number one teaching priority. All the sports, all the school are just ways you also get to that lesson. Because the most important thing is that on the day of final judgment when your kids are tossed up they are people of weight, born again by the Holy Spirit, gathered up into His barn and not burned up like useless chaff. We as a congregation need to be cheerleaders to the mothers of Emmanuel. Cheerleaders. If you are never given ch- children, you can be a cheerleader. If you are given children, you need to surround yourself with cheerleaders. I remember hearing about one mom, whenever she would watch her kids take the kids off to the bathroom for a little spanking session, she would just say, bless you, my child. Bless you, my child. There you go, being faithful. Bless you, my child. Some of you have had parents who made your parenting difficult. Resolve today, I will make my kids' parenting easy. You won't be the grandmother you, do you have to spank them? They're so cute. Yeah, because I don't want to ruin them, make them awful. God has given motherhood. It's a calling that requires the fullness of the Spirit. It's a, requir- it's a, it's a calling that longs for our children to have the Holy Spirit. And it's a calling that has fruit that will last for all of eternity. Amen? Amen. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. We pray that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. If you're exposing in someone they've never been filled with the Spirit, they've never been saved, we pray, Lord God, they would trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ for their sins and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.